it's not so often that people come together in the name of love. And so this is what we're doing here. And so I just feel really glad about that. Um, I'd like you to know that uh, and Chloe is recording the voice of the of the evening because people have told us they really wanted to hear the study group material that we were working on together. And so we're just recording the voice. It's not without any without any video attached. So it's just the voice. And I'd like to kind of establish the protocol, which is what we started to develop last time, which is simply that uh, I'll read for 15 or 20 minutes and then at a convenient place, I'll just pause and people, we can then we can kind of discuss or ask questions or investigate, you know, and share, tell stories and things about what we've been reading about. And still it's the case that if, if you have a, a pertinent question for exactly what we're reading about in the moment, that stops you from understanding or going along, just put your hand up like this. And when I'm ready, I'll stop and we can um, ask it. Because if you have a question, probably other people have a question too. So along the way, it, it turns out to be best if you mute your microphone so we just don't pick up any background noises. And then that works best. And uh, is there, are there anybody, does anybody have any logistical thing or any, we'll go for an hour and a half and just kind of let the, let the food come in, really let the space feed you. It's not something that you really have to remember in your mind or figure out in your mind. This is something that goes in all five bodies and just sinks in. And if you just, if you let it feed you like that, like I still feel nourished from last Monday from when we met before. I can still feel it in my system. So I'm glad about that. And I encourage you to let it come in like that. Is there, are there any, does anybody have a, a logistical thing or anything before we start? Yeah, Crystal. You have to turn your microphone on first. I really uh, was invited now from Susanne and I, she told me you read from your book if I want to know you because I'm reading your book at the moment and I really don't, <laughs> I didn't know that this is such a studying group. I don't know if I'm right here or if I'm not and I don't know if you all paid something to do this. I just went in and I'm here now. <laughs> And if I'm wrong, I can go out as well. Hmm. To answer your question, everybody has paid full price to be here. And what I mean by that is they are putting their current construct at risk, their current worldview at risk, because it's possible that somebody will learn something new that they never thought that they didn't know about before. And this could put a, a crack in your system that your system has to deal with somehow. So you're at risk. So everybody who's part of this study group has paid full price for the, in that way. And the fact that you have so many things that you don't know, I would consider an excellent place to begin because there's a lot of things I don't know also. 
and I find that an interesting way to start a fine day. Imagine waking up in the morning and thinking that you know about things. I mean, life would soon lose its spiciness and its, um, its kind of uh, intrigue, its mystery. Life would lose its mystery if you think that you know. So we're kind of a group of people, I would, if I could speak for us, that we're a group of people who doesn't know and we're going on a journey tonight and we'll, we'll see how long you make it through. You might get eaten by grizzly bears or ghosts or I don't know what, but if you, if you disappear off the screen, you should just eventually let us know that you're okay. All right? Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> that goes for everybody. Okay. <laughs> Thank you that I can be here as well. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. Good. Anything from anyone else? Okay. Well, so because of the magical graces of Phyllis Goldman, I actually have a copy of the book this week. She mailed it by airmail from Eugene, Oregon. And I'm going to be reading actually from the book itself this time. So if you have the book, I wanted you to know that on May 1st, which is this Saturday, apparently Home Press, which is the publisher of this book in Arizona, in America, is reissuing this same book under a different title. And the new title is called Building Love That Lasts. Has a different picture on, has a mountain on the front. It's kind of a yellowy tan color. And um, Divyam Shu, who's over there in the dark corner, he uh, recently tried, he went on Amazon trying to buy one of these because he wanted to read along. And he said they all cost 273 euros or something like that. So. Um, so I'm going to give him this one when I have to leave. So <laughs> you'll have one. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So if you, if you want to get a copy of the book and you're not ready to pay 273 euros, I think they're selling them, uh, for around 50, I think in the book is called building love that lasts and it has the same exact text. I only changed some email addresses and some websites that were in this that are no longer valid. So according to my careful calculations, last time we stopped on page five of the introduction in this book, in the section about what was learned, and we were starting with how to use this book. I think we actually read that part. <clears throat> I, I'd like to read, let's see. No, I didn't think we get that part. So I'm going to start there. Here we go. How to use this book. First, I ask you to be patient with the jargon that shows up in this book in order to investigate conditions that are not normally addressed. I use quite a few words in unusual ways, borrowing terminology from possibility management. When introducing a term for the first time, I've tried to put it in quotes and give you a brief working definition for further explanation. These quoted words are listed in the glossary of possibility management terms in the back of the book. Reading the glossary in itself is educational in possibility management, and that is not the point of this book. Try to not get stuck in the new terms. By the way, if you, this glossary, I've updated it in the last years and put it online at a place called 
distinctionary.xyz. It's just basically a, a, a dictionary of distinctions online. So I've, I've re-edited that. It, some people, Mia, Mia's there. Mia prints this thing out and passes it around. And wherever she goes, she just litters the things around to people. And she, she, she loved it. She's, she's loved it like as much as me. I can't wait until she writes her own distinctionary and we get that one going too. So try not to get stuck in the new terms. If you find that while reading, you do not understand something, my suggestion is to just keep reading on. The book says things in many different ways so that people with different ways of thinking and different personal experiences can still understand. You are not expected to understand everything. Later on, you can return to what was not clear if you want to. That's a great thing about a book. It sticks around. There is a lot in here. Do not anticipate getting everything all at once. I did not. This book is a culmination of more than 50 years of learning, and not much of that learning was easy for me. Give yourself some slack. I hope that as you read along, the new terminology makes understanding these ideas easier for you, and that the words become more and more familiar or even comfortable through usage. This next section is about the word archetype. One word used quite frequently is the term archetype. The archetypal terminology used in Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love comes from possibility management and is not derived from or associated with the popular work of Carl Gustav Jung. Jung evolved his understanding of deep psychology archetypes in reference to the psychoanalytical context that he inherited from his teacher, Sigmund Freud. Instead of relying on Jung's experiences, we have done our own empirical research for over 30 years. These experiments brought us directly into contact with the same sources that Jung must have tapped into to formulate his particular terminology. But instead of a psychological context, we researched from a possibility context. And by the way, we're working on a website called possibilitypsychology.mystrikingly.com, which goes deeper into our understandings of how important the mimetic structures are in the mind and the way to work with them is from the perspective of a, of a healing and transformational uh, point of view based on possibility. So if you're interested in, the, in possibility psychology, it's online. So you have to just get that. Instead of a psychological context, this work comes from a possibility context. Because we went fishing with a different net, we caught a different sort of fish, even though we fished in the same sea. In possibility management, archetypes are potential configurations that are hardwired into the energetic structure of human beings. Archetypes are either responsible or irresponsible. Irresponsible archetypes are awakened during childhood and used to create a workable defense strategy for each of us. We build a, a, an archetypal defense strategy, but we'll use anything we can to survive. 
responsible archetypes lie dormant usually until they are turned on through authentic initiatory rites of passage, which is notably missing from our culture. Much is written in later chapters to further explore archetypes. This is enough for now. I have capitalized archetypal words in this book because they are, well, archetypal. I'd like to add that when we wrote the book, when I wrote the book, it was, we only understood human beings to have four bodies. And it's only in the last couple of years that we've realized that it's a real workable way to relate to yourself as having five bodies. And the fifth body is the archetypal body. So as we're reading along and we're exploring that stuff, I'll add in whatever I can about these new things that we've discovered just to share it with you. So you have the latest, coolest stuff. Next section is called, Everything is Changing. Implied here is the understanding that nothing in this book is perfect. Nothing is final. All of it is in a process of development. Over the years of using and sharing these ideas and procedures, I have watched them change right before my eyes. They change even while I'm speaking about them in public or using them in trainings. These ideas do not come from the known and the certain. Rather, they seem to be alive and continuously evolving. I'm not writing this book because I am a scholar who is recognized as an authority on the subject material. If I were writing from scholastic authority, then I would say, I will explain to you what is possible, or I will reveal to you what is possible. Instead, I say, let us investigate together what is possible. Fortunately for you, I do not know what I'm talking about. If I originated this writing in what I know for certain to be the truth or to be so, then we would have a very short and boring conversation. Instead of writing from certainty, I am willing to be at risk. Being at risk means that I'm willing to be in the uncomfortable position of not knowing and still responsibly proceeding. I tell you this so that you can do the same kinds of experiments yourself. Even in this moment, I am on the spot. Because of my commitment to you, the reader, I am using everything I can to create useful results, even though I do not already know how to do that. Together, like this, we enter and investigate what could be possible in these unknown territories. Next section is prove it for yourself. In no instance should you use the fact that you have a book in your hands as an excuse for giving away your personal bullshit detector. No matter what this book says, it also insists that you prove it for yourself. There are no shoulds or should nots in this book. There's no good, bad, or right or wrong, or better or worse, or positive or negative. There is no system of beliefs, no precepts, no moral codes, no rules. There is no ideal relationship to try to emulate, no model behavior to try to remember. Neutrality 
derives from the simple understanding that every action creates its own consequences. This book proposes new actions to cause new consequences, tested through your own experimentation. You get a chance to rethink your decisions about speaking, listening, feeling, or being in relationship. Deep new clarity comes to you about how you create what you are creating and how you could, if you wanted to, create something completely different. You have in your hands all that you need to further your own research. There's this saying from Possibility Management that says, something completely different from this is possible right now. And that thing has been a challenge for me and probably you, if you do this kind of work, to prove it. You know, when you're existing in a situation or somebody confronts you or brings you a problem or an issue or a concern or a question, and they go, you know, what can I do about this? They're asking for possibility. And the, the tools, the clarity, the distinctions, the, the, the empowerment that comes from this work is that you can create something completely different from, from what is right now. You have the possibility. Something completely from different from this is possible right now. What a fun way to approach things. So let's see. I'd like to read about one long more paragraph and then stop for check-in. Therefore, do not be surprised if you find yourself writing notes in the margins of this book and adding details and dimensions of clarity to the diagrams based on what you yourself discover. Possibility management is open code thoughtware, meaning in this case, meaning in this case that its origins cannot be hidden because its origins are archetypal. If you can understand possibility management, then you are standing at the source of possibility management and have the ability to further develop it. Just like open code computer thoughtware, possibility management will continue to be developed by you, the responsible user. If you eventually get copies of your findings back to me, we can share what you have discovered in future editions or write your own books and articles if you want. By the way, I've just been working on a very cool little website called writeyourarticle.mystrikingly.com and I encourage you to go through there. It's not finished, but at the end there's some really great experiments already. So I encourage you to jump in there and start doing those experiments so that you can write your own articles because every single distinction in this book really it needs a whole book for it. Every single distinction we'll talk about needs its own book. And the books start with articles. So just start writing articles. You are encouraged to use these tools and techniques however you can to serve people. Make this material your own. At the same time, please keep in mind that the value of referencing back to possibility management as your source is that possibility management will then hang together as a body of knowledge that will continue to serve people for many generations to come. 
we can continue developing it together. If you, however, mix these maps with New Age metaphysical esoteric psychology, rename them, and pass them on to other people, then possibility management will be scattered and diluted. I hope you make choice A. So I'll, I'll pause here for a minute and just let's check in. Does anybody, anybody have anything you want to talk about or share? Scott, dude, go for it. So <clears throat> this, this part about archetypes, um, so you chose the same word like genetically, it's from a different source. Um, is it like, I guess I wonder like what are, what are the similarities for you between the, the, the way that it's used in possibility management and the way that it's used in psychology? Um, yeah. Thank you. I have not studied psychology, so I can't claim to understand that context. I've, of course, been around it uh, as the effect of other people who've come into possibility management and told some stories about their sessions or their psychoanalysis stage, whatever stage they are in that. So, but I, I can't claim to speak in the name of psychoanalysis. However, it feels to me like we went previous to where Sigmund Freud went when he used the words, or Jung, we went previous to that, to its original use or definition, understanding that human beings, like we are designed to interact with the archetypal nature of the universe. So, I mean, one simple example is just mathematics. You know, we can understand geometries and, and how a, an isosceles triangle will have 60 degrees between each of its inner angles in any, in any universe, you know, unless it's, even if it's bent pretty severely, you can still, it's the same thing. So it's like also the bright principles that we can connect to and take a stand for and be a space for. We can be a space for bright principles to do their work in the world. We can be this, we can become the space through which the bright principles can do their work in the world through, through us. The fact that we can do this, that we even can comprehend what responsibility is, or that we can comprehend the nature of integrity, or the, of, of clarity, or possibility, or love. The fact that we can even consider these things or speak about them is so archetypal that it maps right on to kind of the structure of consciousness at large. And so this, um, the archetypal nature of, of the human being is designed into us at a very original and deep level. And um, to ignore that leaves us at the mercy of modern marketing techniques and political slogans and things like that. You know, if we don't tap into our own archetypal nature, we're, we're, we're kind of doomed to be locked into the um, standard human intelligence thoughtware. We're, we're doomed to be um, committed to mediocrity. 
and there's so many there's so many spaces like you know what it's like when you for example invite someone over to a special a special dinner and you set up a space with candles or you vacuum and clean and dust and you you polish things and set things up just right you know so that the silverware is lined up or the chopsticks and that the and the the positioning of is energetically correct and conducive to the mysterious preciousness of human contact or human being togetherness you know what it's like when you set up a space like that that's an archetypal connection that we have and oftentimes uh if you for example on the hill going up to the church on the and the top of the mountain that's that's behind prague prague has a an old downtown and then some bridges across the river and the main bridge if you go up if you walk up that road on the other side of the bridge on the right hand side on a corner is this is this baroque church which which if you walk in at first you're distracted by all the gold colored and fake marble painting and it's like it's an incredible experience there but if you look straight up at the ceiling the painter whoever it was got a hold of an archetypal space and transferred it to the ceiling and there's not even, there's no living creatures, as far as I remember, in the, the painting that he made. It's simply columns and this blue sky and this grass and bushes and this platform, this kind of uh, stage with the columns. And it, you walk in there and you have a, an automatic resonance with your archetypal part. And so this is the, it's so clearly the same word at a previous um state of the word we grabbed it back there before freud and young got a hold of it and so it's too accurate of a word to um exchange it for something else so it's a bit of a shift for people to to um get it that we're when we're talking about a human being and archetypes we're not talking about freud or young's meaning yeah thank you thank you You know, take a minute right now and just sort of gaze into the eyes of the different people who are on the screen right now and start to sense deeper into you and notice the sensation of actually being connected in. Just kind of drop out of your mind, pick one person for 30 seconds or so. Maybe they're not even looking at you, but get it that you're connected. You can feel this connection. It's an, it's an energetic connection that we are having with each other right now. Even though we're thousands of kilometers apart, we don't even know each other's character or name or life. And yet we're gathered together here in this space, which goes all around the planet in the name of love. And when you just sit there for a moment and just let it in, you can sense that that's what this space is. is, is. That's what is happening in the space.
to the degree that you can let it in, you can you can almost admit or recognize the archetypal part of yourself waking up or being fed by this connection, being to being connection. And it's not really happening through the computer. It's happening in reality. It's happening energetically, being to being connected. When you have being to being connection like that, it just calls archetypal love in the space. And you don't have to think about it. You don't have to imagine it. Archetypal love coming into a space causes physical sensations. So how many, how many of you are noticing any physical sensations as I'm talking about this and I'm clarifying the space that we're in? How many people can start to notice physical sensations? Just kind of put your hand up. Could, and any of you who feel that, could you just say a few words what it's like? Could you describe that? Whoever wants to. Rosina? It, it feels like pressure. Like... Here. Yeah. Yeah. Try to let it in past the surface. Okay. Try to let it all the way through. It's exactly that, but try to let it through. Lily, did you have your hand up? I did. I feel it as a tingling in every cell of my body, especially my fingertips. And I feel the chest becomes more alive, more active, stress pulsating within. Close your eyes for a second, Lily. Okay. okay. What color is it? What color is it? Right now it feels like orange, but that is believe, I believe because of the light that comes through my closed eyes. I see the okay. orange color. Does anybody else have a color? Green. Sarah, are you going to say something? Pink. Pink. <laughs> Vera? So, it was this yellow tingling. Uh, it wasn't neither warm nor cold, but it was tingling and coming very much. There was, yeah, coming from this area and radiating out. Yeah, and it very active in my back. So I came to call it yellow stuff. So sometimes in the book we'll talk about yellow stuff, but it's the it's the, um, you know, it has these qualities that we're designed to experience. And it is scary as hell to experience this stuff, especially if you let it in past the surface. If you let that vibration or the tingling or the yellow stuff in past the surface in connection with other people, you start to not want to buy another pair of shoes. You start to want to skip the consumerism you sort of you lose interest in politics and um, prestige and other kinds of things because you've discovered something that's more authentic and fundamental than the superficial materialistic um, offerings of modern culture so in a way that your participation in uh, acknowledging that you can experience yellow stuff happening in this connection of being to being connection between other people 
you you acknowledge that you're you're undermining your participation in modern culture except as being a transformational agent you know once you have this experience and and recognize that it's repeatable you you start being a carrier or something like that you start walking into talk spaces and people think that you're going to give a talk but in fact what you're going to do is call in bright principles into the space where all the people are and and start naming what's happening and people will start to experience the yellow stuff happening in them while you're supposedly giving a talk about something and then you can tell the people in the talk space what you're doing and invite them to start to learn how to do that themselves and it's it's scary because it under you know it's scary because probably your parents didn't talk about it or you didn't have a class in yellow stuff in school i didn't so you know you've got to, you're out there beyond the edges of the ordinary and yet you're not going into esoteric you're not going into the spiritual or the esoteric domains because in a lot of the spiritual and esoteric domains people claim to know what's going on people claim they have models and systems and diagrams and all kinds of symbolism and like all this stuff um, people claim to know it and have, have called it by different names in the esoteric dimensions and this isn't that it's far too simple for that it's, it's previous to that somehow it's this archetypal nature of the universe combined with the archetypal nature of your your essential nature and they are map they can map on one another you can map directly into that and i still haven't figured out how it could possibly be that once a human being has noticed this as as uh, a possibility in the universe how it could possibly be that they would prefer to have a low drama with somebody how or prefer to prove themselves right and make somebody else wrong for example or let their superficial psychological habitual nature that we'll describe in the book called your box to let your box reactions actually mean something in relationship to somebody else you know your box reactions are your box reactions you're triggered by all kinds of stuff but who cares you know if you can have yellow stuff why would you give a shit about your box reacting to somebody else putting you know the toilet paper on the wrong way or leaving leaving the jar lids halfway off or putting their dirty socks on the kitchen table or whatever, you know, whatever freaks your box out, you know, who cares? Like how could it possibly matter when the universe is built out of yellow stuff and you can tap in and surf it. You can surf on yellow stuff in your daily life. So anyway, that's, I have an unanswered question about that. <laughs> Lily. Uh I don't claim to answer your question, but being a hypnotherapist, I can say that there is a chemical addiction in the body of people to strong emotions. People are used to being depressed or angry and they want their fix. They create the situation. And the only way to treat it is to replace it with something bigger and stronger, like yellow stuff. You know, if, if the best thing you ever have is your little rage, uh, you know, anger thing, then that's what you have. But if you have real love, then you can heal it. So now you know your mission. Everybody, everybody, you guys are, are missionaries. You have 
you know, how often between now and next Monday can you open up a space that's bottomless that people can fall into that's filled with nothing but yellow stuff? Like how often can you do that? And how long can you hold it there? Because like I said, people get scared or nervous. They react, they attack, they undermine. You know, how often, how long can you hold it and not be hooked into the ordinary? So this would be an invitation between now and next Monday. And I'll, I'll ask tomorrow, next Monday, I'll ask, put your fingers up one time, two times, three times, how many times, five times, 10 times, how many times were you able to create and hold this space where the, the mystery is alive in every breath, something like that. It comes, it comes and stays around in your presence, even in when, you're, when the people around you don't notice even when the people around you are offended or worried or something, that, that, that you still can stay present, connected with them and not leave the space, not be adaptive, not try to be something that they can understand just so they don't freak out around you. So that I would invite you to try that experiment this week between times, is to see how many times you can create and hold that space and how long you can hold it just for uh, building your muscles of yellow stuff. Anything else right now before we read the next section? Iris, are you thinking something? You look like you're thinking something. There's two pages of Oh, really? Ingrid, you have your hand up? Ingrid, where's Ingrid? Just I'm here, Ingrid. Unleash yourself. Yes, I did. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question when you say serve the space. Um, how I can tell that? Um, I, I read your book, uh, I follow the sparks. I never made any possibility lab. Um, but uh, I notice in myself that I have more uh, uh, in a posture of what is uh, happening to me is what I have and it's good for me because it's exactly there where I am to learn what I have to learn. And uh, I, ha I have difficulties with the with the word surf uh, with the word that yeah that I I can really yeah navigate or or uh, yeah do you say navigate also um, yeah that 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 I'm as powerful to do all that. So can you tell something about that? Yeah, see, Bruce and I... My question, I don't know if I was clear, I'm sorry. It's totally clear. See, Bruce and I, we grew up in California, and people surf in California. So the metaphor of surfing works really well, understanding that you can't fight the waves. You try to fight the waves, they will smash you into the sand, they will break your surfboard, they will rip your bathing suit off, 
these waves are forces of nature and there's a way to dance with them one of the one of the models that makes sense to me these days and it might be really far out but it, i didn't make it up myself i got it from a man a, a researcher named john Lilly, who was in the 70s working with dolphins he wrote some books and his theory was that there was an earth coincidence control office an Earth Coincidence Control Office, which is ECCO, like ECHO. So, and they're the ones who are managing circumstances. So that, so it's like the way you the way you explained it, Ingrid. You said that it's kind of a philosophical point of view, where you said, "Well, this is happening to me, and there are there are forces bigger than me at work. So therefore, this must be good for me." And all of a sudden you brought the good bad paradigm in. you brought this dichotomy good bad and that will that's almost like a religion it brings in a, an orientation that's philosophical and religious about something being good meaning something else can be bad whereas a wave it isn't good or bad i know guys hang out there and they wait for good waves but um in fact a wave is a wave and so the stuff that happens is this stuff that happens and there's, there are many ways to work with that. And we'll, we'll be diving into that more and more as we read through the book. But the, the point is to predisposition yourself. That means to visualize, not visualize, it's like to know yourself, to, like develop, to develop surfing skills. What do you have to do to develop surfing skills? What are surfing skills? So there's things like being centered, and we'll talk about that. There's, there's things about being present. We'll talk about that. There's things about getting, inhabiting your five bodies instead of just your mind or instead of just um, a construct deep in your mind, that you can inhabit five bodies, have your center, grounding cable, bubble, and presence, and a small now, so not a big now, a small now. And all of a sudden, you can play it's like a kind of play, a creative co-creative co play that, that doesn't confront or, or go against this, this force of nature, these forces of nature called bright principles or shadow principles or these things that we'll, we'll be working with. You don't have to go against them. You're not controlling them. You don't own them. You, they don't own you, but they are functioning and you can, you can participate. Consciously, you can consciously participate in the the in a way theater that's going on, and and that's what I mean by surfing. So another way I can say it is to learn to fly. I'm working on a website called Flying School. How can how you know human beings are designed to fly? We have a shape. It's like an airplane has a physical shape, has these wings, the fuselage the horizontal stabilizers, a vertical stabilizer. This thing is a shape. And some people, when they get in airplanes, are afraid that the airplane won't fly. But the thing is, you take any physical object with that density and that shape, and you move it certain speed down the runway, it is going to fly. It cannot not fly. So human beings are like that. We are designed to fly. We're designed to fly in archetypal levels in the in in the forces of the universe at the archetypal level and 
We're designed to be intimate with each other in the archetypal domains through our archetypal body. And so in a way, the fact that so many people could put up their hand this morning uh, and in terms of noticing sensations from the yellow stuff coming into the space together, that it just confirms the kind of universal nature of the design of, of a human being, the being part, the design of a human being, that we're designed to fly in, in, in these domains. And when, as soon as you start getting a sense of that you're designed to fly and you can surf in these forces of nature, then all of a sudden life takes on a different context. It has a different purpose or a different point, it has a different um, objective or something like that. It, it isn't, it's very different from the point or objective that we were taught in school or by the example of our parents or possibly even our friends and the university level or even postgraduate level. There's nothing about this stuff out there. There are plenty of places where you can have these kinds of conversations like we're having now, and none of them are at a university probably. I've never heard of one. So what I'm saying is, is that just because the, your friends aren't doing this or just because you weren't trained in it and you weren't, you weren't rewarded for having direct experience of yellow stuff, being to being connections, archetypal intimacy with other human beings, just because you weren't rewarded for that doesn't mean you can't explore it and surf on it. So that's what actually this whole book is kind of about. It's like building in us a series of experiential distinctions that we admit, we admit, we acknowledge and admit that we are capable of this stuff and then refusing to go back to the old way. We have this amazing capacity to refuse to go back to the sleeping world, the zombie world. We have the capacity for that. We have this ability to object. We have this capacity to ask nonlinear questions and go from one space that has certain possibilities to a, a totally different space that has completely different possibilities. We're designed for that. We're made for this. And so um, once you start experiencing it, once you can start sourcing that in your moment-to-moment -moment daily life, the, nobody can convince you otherwise. I mean, I see Martina's on here. Martina was in a rage club. Can I, Martina, can I tell him this story? This, so she was, in, she was a, a person off the street, basically. I don't know how she found herself. We had a Saturday-long uh, one-day rage club here in Robinsburg. And she walked in, and by the afternoon, by late afternoon, she, she broke through this fog. She, like, came out of this cage. I don't know how she would describe it. But you want to talk about it, Martina? Do you want to say it? Mm. Yes, it was exact, exactly... Uh, like you said, it was like like stepping into another room, leaving one room and stepping into another, and the frontier was clear to go there and to to go back. It was a clear process, yeah Thank you so there was another man in the workshop who did not go on the journey with her into the next room she was she was still back in the other room, and he said. 
ah, they're, they're just confusing you. This, this didn't really happen. You know, it will, it will go back the other way. It, um, it's impossible, you know? <laughs> and I tried to rescue Martina from this guy, but she stopped me. Martina just stopped me and said, you know, there is nothing anybody can say that would contradict my direct experience. Don't worry about me, I'm fine. And so yeah. it, was, it was fantastic. It was like, that's what I'm talking about. You do not ever have to go back. So this, this is a fabulous quality of our free will, of our, uh, we call it, in some ways, we call it radical responsibility. We take responsibility for the level of responsibility being taken, that we can make a choice and take a stand for the choice that we take. And there's nobody, know-how, nowhere, who, who has the power to force us to go back the other way. I mean, it's a gruesome story, example that I'll tell you right now, but it's, it's the story I heard about Vikings when they were captured by their enemy. They tie them down to a table and they chop their arm off because they're trying to, you know, break their spirit. And the Viking just looks at them and says, well, you got my arm, but you didn't get me. And it's, and it's also like in the film, V for Vendetta, which I highly recommend, is um, at, the, at the end of the movie, this one character, he, he's being tried to be, the, the bad guy's trying to kill him, and he shoots him with all his bullets, and the bad guy says, why won't you die? And, and um, V, his name is V, says, well, what's before you? You know, I'm more than just this physical body. I am, I am a set of ideas, and ideas are bulletproof. And, it, and it's like that. It's like we have this capacity to be extraordinary, to be the mystery in action. We can participate in the mysterious evolution that's occurring moment to moment around us. And uh, it shows up as radiant joy, brilliant love. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're going with this. I appreciate people's attention and people's questions because, you know, how, how, how are we supposed to get that kind of stuff into a book? You know, it's like, this, this, this thing's like, you know, I don't know. It's like two, three kilos. I mean, it's a big fat book and I, I put everything in it I could and, you know, and this is just the beginning. This is just, this is just the superficial introduction to the domains uh, that we have access to and just because they don't match into anything we ever studied in school it, um, and that we don't really have a place for it in our in our current um, knowledge map our current knowledge map we don't have a place for it to dock on doesn't mean it's not functional so what it's like we i'm asking you to as we go along and we put in more and more distinctions just start building a new knowledge continent in your space. This is called expansive learning. It's different from learning in school. In school, we had defensive learning. Defensive learning means you only can learn about what you already know about. You can only learn about stuff that fits into your current knowledge continent and docks on somewhere, and then it's real. And if something passes you by, that doesn't fit into your current knowledge continent. It just, you don't even see it. It doesn't have reality for you. So 
the kind of that's the kind of learning we did in school. You learn to add, and then you learn to subtract, and then you learn to divide, and then you learn to multiply, and you sort of build up. It's a kind. It's a certain kind of learning they do in school. Before you went to school, you had an entirely different kind of learning, which is called expansive learning, which means that you can have caterpillars and asparagus. And sometimes they look similar, and sometimes you can put them together, and sometimes not. But they, it doesn't really matter. As a child, you don't have a confirmed set of thought where that everybody has the same, so, so it's confirmed. Like, you, you know, you fit in if you have this same knowledge continent. So, so it doesn't matter as a child. You can eat dirt, and you can, you know, sleep in the middle of a rock and roll band and you can like you know this about kids they have this freedom and so you still have that when you reclaim expansive learning so part of that's what i'm asking you to do while we read the book is start to build a whole new knowledge continent called radiant joy brilliant love or whatever you want to call it that that it starts to take on mass as you get it more and do more experiments and start to inhabit the new territory. You can inhabit the new territory. You can put your grounding cord down in the new territory. And you can inhabit and nobody can take it away from you because you're experiencing it and you 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 know how it works. You're learning how it works. And this is what I'm I'm hoping that will happen as we go along reading the book. If it's okay with people, I would I would keep reading. Okay? All right. All right. All right, here we go. See, the next section is called Keep Experimenting. This book is not a work of logic and the mind. This book is an investigation into experiential reality. That is, reality before it is influenced by words. This book is not about saying how it is. This book is an invitation for you to make experiments to discover for yourself how it is. Talk is cheap, worthless in many instances, especially talk about the possibility of directly experiencing archetypal love. Doing experiments, now that has value. Hopefully while reading this book, doing experiments will become your way of life. Over and over, this book will beg you, entice you, even trick you into actually trying new behaviors. Because what you do and what you stop doing is what creates the results you have in your life not what you think. Understanding what this book says is not enough to make a difference for you. Certainly understanding is involved, but understanding is not sufficient. Satisfaction in human relationship comes less from how you think about it and more from how you experience it. How you experience relationship will come through the novelty of your actions. 
will explain that a lot more. As you explore the new terrains yourself, personally, under your own volition, and at your own risk, your authority becomes authentic. I just want to read that again. As you explore the new terrains yourself, personally, under your own volition, and at your own risk, your authority becomes authentic. When your authority is authentic, then the stories that you tell about your life can awaken a long forgotten longing in other people to experience radiant joy and brilliant love themselves. Hearing such stories is how we remember that true love is possible. Going first is what makes you a leader. Changing yourself simultaneously changes your culture. God, you know, these are such big secrets that we're sitting around wanting politicians to change laws so that we don't kill off life on planet Earth, thinking that they have authority. And it's because people didn't read Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. It's because, you know, we didn't go through this, the authentic adulthood initiatory processes that brought us back into our own authority. And we were designed for those to start when we're about 18 years old. Our early 20s is fantastic to do a few years of a major initiatory processes. And you would have your authority become authentic. And then there is nothing that an external authority could say or do that would make a difference for you without you deciding on your own authority its validity. I keep reading. Keep in mind that this book cannot be your final guide. It, the real-time feedback and coaching needed to adjust your attitudes and behaviors only comes from other living, breathing, feeling human beings, not from a book and not from your mind. So plan to talk with people about what you are learning and trying. Getting a group together to discuss and practice these ideas can prove to be exceptionally productive, especially as an aid to digesting the new ideas and creating practical ways to apply them. When experimenting, be generous and kind with yourself. I'll say that again. When you're experimenting, be generous and kind with yourself. Give yourself plenty of space and time. Spending a part of your day exploring archetypal love is time well spent. I put in parentheses, that's an opinion. So that's my opinion. Consider, in comparison, how much time you spend watching television commercials, sitting in traffic jams, or waiting in line at the post office. Please remember that experiencing wild phenomena is not the goal of this work. And what I, what I want to add is that it's, it's quite common for people who start doing these kinds of experiments to experience wild phenomena. It's not uncommon. It's, I've heard so many stories, I could fill a couple more books. 
So, but that's not the goal. In uh, in uh, Indian traditions, they call such experiences or powers they call them siddhis, S-I-D-D-H-I-S, something like that. But and and oftentimes that's some kind of proof of achievement of some level of consciousness or something. But in this work, those those wild phenomena is not the goal of this work. The goal is for you to get into the laboratory and start doing experiments yourself rather than watching safely from the observation room. Should some delightful experience actually occur for you, for example, today when you could feel the yellow stuff, if that happens for you, regard your ecstasy as an accident and take careful notes. Developing the discipline to experiment invites more than the usual number of ecstatic accidents. Okay. So then there's this next section in quotes. It goes, but what if my partner, with a question mark, you might be quite enthusiastic about the possibility of self-development that this book represents. You might feel inspired by the thought of entering new domains of relationship and of exploring deeper intimacies with your partner. You might also imagine that to make use of this book, your partner should be at the same place as you in their development with an equivalent enthusiasm for doing experiments. The third part of this misery-making formula is noticing that your partner is neither at the same place as you, nor do they carry the same level of interest. You know, you're the one probably carrying around the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love book in your backpack, and they're not. So that's the thing. They're, you notice that. At this point, the whole proposal of developing relationship intelligence devolves into a painfully insoluble paradox with you being the victim of the joke. I don't know where this fantasy of harmonious growth got its beginnings, but it is arguably never the case that two people are at the same place in their development or have the same level of enthusiasm about relationship experiments ever. We are human beings living organisms, we have the possibility of being reborn into a new experience of life with every breath. Stasis and orderliness are nowhere in the picture. The procedure for using this book equally applies in any quality of relationship. You read the book and you practice the experiments. You have fun, you try your best, and you crash and burn. You pick yourself up again and try again. You play around. You stretch beyond your limits. These experiments open fabulous new universes of perception and experience. Your perception and your experience. Your partner will do whatever they will do. Sure, you can invite them to play along with you. Either they will play or they won't. But the moment you expect anything from your partner, the possibility of authentic relationship is killed. Because what you then have is your expectation instead of the relationship. 
even if your partner is thoroughly antagonistic to creating an extraordinary life and profound intimacy, this never had nor ever will have any impact on what you decide to learn about and explore. No matter if you take huge risks in being vulnerable and communicative, and every effort you make seems to explode in your face, no effort is wasted. Your matrix builds regardless of your apparent lack of success. We'll talk more about that later. One thing I have been learning about is having faith. One thing I see worthy of great respect and faith is evolution. Your actual circumstances turn out to be irrelevant. What matters is your relationship to those circumstances. You can have faith in evolution happening in whatever your circumstances are. There are no failed relationships because in every relationship, evolution is happening. Even if you live in total denial of what is really going on in your relationship, something is cooking in you, and sooner or later, it will come to the surface for your benefit. So relax about your partner and keep making efforts and see what you can learn. Do whatever you can to accept things as they are. Accept things deep within yourself and completely outside of yourself. In the moment you accept, those things are free to suddenly change form. There's a lot of magic stuff in this book. It's actually a book of magic. That's one of them. In the moment you accept, those things are free to suddenly change form. Um, I have about two or three more paragraphs before the end of the introduction, and I would like to read that. All right, my box. My box wants me to read that. So then we could <laughs> complete the introduction today and then talk, we'll have time to uh, talk more. The last section in the introduction is when nothing happens. Even after reading this book and doing the experiments off and on for five or 10 years, nothing might happen. But this is not a problem. There's nothing wrong with you. Trying experiments and having nothing happen does not mean that archetypal love does not exist. The fact that the possibility of experiencing something great is just a possibility does not detract from its greatness. Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love is a tough book, a difficult book. You will look directly in the face of your own incompetencies, your unconsciousness, your irresponsibilities, and your underworld. This is painful, and the pain will not go away. You will learn what has been motivating your actions is not what you thought. You will see that you have hurt the people you love, that in fact, you wanted to hurt them because you thought you had no other options. Now, you will have other options to try, and they are simple, solid, and clearly explained options to create more love and intimacy than you might have thought existed. Suddenly, relationship may take on a value and importance that will draw from you the highest regard. Suddenly, being with your partner might become delightful 
in ways never before imagined. Probably the best overall guideline for how to use this book is have fun. Could you join me in taking a deep breath? Is anything cooking right now that somebody would like to mention? Habet. Yeah, I, I realized that it makes me angry to think of not being successful. Like what you just read out the last sentences of that you might try for years and it, it would not work. <laughs> I, I realized that it makes me angry and it calls in my gremlin to think of oh but it's not worth it it's ah it sounds great but it's not real um yeah my gremlin wants to jump on that yeah thank you for saying that try to imagine if the book says this works for everybody all the time you know, try to imagine if this, if that's what this book was trying to claim, you know, if it was trying to say uh, that it's a surefire method. We have a surefire method. Probably, probably all of you have subscribed to some workshop or something that says we have a surefire method. You do A, you do B, you do C, and you will get D every time. And then you sign up for the workshop and you go, yeah, hey, got it, B, yeah, C, I can do this. You get home after the workshop and a few days go by and you forgot to do the A part. <sighs> okay, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And then three more days go by and you don't do it, you know, and say, okay, what's going on? You know, there's a part of us that can understand, yeah, A, B, C, you will get D. At the same time, there's more going on in a human being then can be transformed by a method. And so what, what we're really saying here is this is not a method. These are, these are, we're building up skills. These skills, you know, methods in skill building only, only are helpful at the very beginning. And you guys are not at the very beginning. You know, the fact that you're sitting here in this hour and a half long intense conversation keeping focused attention, it means you are housebroken. It means you have, you have learned how to pay attention and, and keep your gremlin from taking you out of the space or sabotaging or attacking or exploding or any, any number of ways that um, your unconscious can try to undermine a precious space like this. And it's not happening. This means you're, you've, you've gone through a lot. And so you've already realized that the method thing doesn't work. So you know, I, it helps me to really put on a different hat, like a different kind of 
a name for myself. So when I regard myself as an, a citizen of Germany, because I have a German passport, you know, if I regard myself as a law-abiding citizen, I, it's, um, my, my possibilities are limited. My possibilities are limited. So I, I, I experiment with different names for what I am. And I usually basically, whenever I introduce myself, I, I sort of use a different, a different title for what I am. So, so you can start doing that too. And the thing is that one certain identity that you might take on as a happy person or a good woman or a nice boy or a successful or an unsuccessful businessman or whatever, whatever title you want to take on has restrictions. It conforms your shape of your being in a way. So there's a book by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, it's called Cat's Cradle. And in there, he talks about FOMA. FOMA is a word that means fictions, little lies. And he says, um, um, use the FOMA, like basically use the lies, use the story that make you brave and kind and healthy and happy. And that's what I'm saying is take on, take on a, a picture of yourself that makes you brave and kind and healthy and happy. And all of a sudden, you'll be able to do the experiments. You'll be able to move in different domains in different ways than you could before because you're not the thing that you thought of yourself as before. You're, you are something else. You are something other than that. So, you know, these days there's so many superhero movies out. You know, Wonder Woman or uh, Captain America or, I mean, there's amazing archetypal doorways opened up by these characters who also face huge trials and tribulations. They, they face, you know, huge conflicts and huge um, problems to overcome and all that. At the same time, uh, they have access to a greater resources than ordinary people. So what, what I'm suggesting from personal experience is that human beings, we have access to huge resources that modern culture knows really nothing about and cannot teach us about. And you can still learn those things. You can still tap into those resources. And so will it work? Is it a method that works? Well, pff, you know, uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, the thing is, I've, for, since I became a professional trainer in 1991, okay, okay, since 1991, I've been, committed to people becoming their potential. And I, I have used so many uh, ways for creating that possibility for people. And so the ways that I use today are the best ones that we've been able to figure out ever. And I'm, I say they're fabulous. At the same time, there, there still are people who, who resist that, which is, which is wonderful. It proves that it's not brainwashing. It proves that it's not uh, a religion. It proves that it's not, you know, we're not, it's not a sect. You know, all it is is a series of doorways. And the thing about doorways is either you see the door or you don't. If you see the door, 
you, you can either go through the door or not. The point is, even if you see a door, you can't go through the door until you're at the door. If you, if you look over there and see a doorway and go, I'm going to go through that door. Well, you can't go through the door until you're at the door. So how do you get to the door? Well, there's, there's preparations. There's, you know, for, we've got hundreds of pages to go before we're even ready to even see the door and start going through doors, let alone become a door maker. So, so I, you know, we're capable of becoming door makers. It's like, it's like the roadrunner and the coyote in the, in, the, in the cartoons. It's like the roadrunner goes meep, meep, and runs up to a cliff and paints a doorway and goes right through the cliff into some other dimension. And the coyote <coughs> slams into the wall because he doesn't have the paintbrush. He doesn't get the technology of going nonlinear out of spaces of how to use questions to in, in create and enter other spaces, how to put his shoulder against a space and fall through to the other side like he doesn't just doesn't have those abilities so the the whole offer here is to just build up through your own personal experience as much as you can of your own your own results of your experiments and that will build in you um it, it, dimension after dimension of what's possible so i'm sure you can look back on your life 10 years before and go you know I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. How many people can say that, that you're not the same person you were 10 years ago? Okay, so what has changed is we call it matrix. You have had experiences that go into your body that make you more conscious and aware of what's existing and what's possible, what the threats are, the opportunities are. You move in a different way. You wouldn't dare say the shit you said 10 years ago. And at the same time, 10 years ago, you wouldn't dare say the shit you say now. So you, you're capable of reinventing possibility way better now than you were before. That's what you can trust. You can trust your own experience of your own evolution. That's what we're relying on. You guys have so much in you that's already built up. We're just going to be adding on to that. In, and, and, and when we add on, it won't connect necessarily with what you already know for a while. But then all of a sudden, this new knowledge continent that you've built out there from our work together, it will fit in. You go, oh, and it will add on whole new space to what you already have. Somebody else had their hand up. Who was it? Yeah. Janet Trevino. Thanks. I, I, found it, I felt a sense of liberation when you, in the book, you mentioned that we often have relationships with expectations and not with people. And that's how I'm kind of defining it. And so I imagine as I thought through my life, I think I have relations with my expectations. I don't have relationships with people. I mean, it's, it's quite common. And just clarifying that was really helpful for me, that distinction. We're going to go deeper into that later on because there's an entire mechanical nature that involves expectations. And once you get that, you'll, you'll become a mechanic who it's like a, when a person drives in their car into your mechanic shop. And if you're a skilled mechanic and you hear this certain ding, 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 ding in the engine, you'll know that the rings are out, you know, or one of the valves is bent or it needs to be ground on the head. You know, you need to shift out the camshaft or whatever. You'll just hear it. And so when you get the technology of expectations and how this works, you'll, you'll notice that in yourself and other people, exactly where they're stuck and how, 
and the simple thing you have to do to change that. Now, it's simple, but it's not easy. But when it's so simple, then you will be able to serve other people. I mean, I mean, a, a really side benefit of these conversations we're having is to improve your effectiveness or something to help other people, to work with other, to, to create possibility and clarity for other people about what's going on and what they could shift to make different results. So I'm really, I'm really glad to know how many of you are trainer types and how many of you have circles of people around you that you'll be able to use all of this and it'll just go right into your circles of people, the way you work with people. It will, it will add some dimensions into the way you can work with people and create possibility and healing and transformation and stuff like that for people. So I'm really excited about that. So I didn't explain the thing about expectations. I'm glad you picked up on it because it's big and it, it's a relationship killer. And we'll find out exactly how it works together. And then you'll do experiments and you'll just blow your mind. You'll probably hate me for a while, but after a year or two, you'll get over it usually. I get letters from people like two or three years after we go through a process, you know, where I didn't hear anything. And they go, do you remember that process we did back in, you know, 2004? Well, saved my life. I'm married. I have kids. I have a successful business. I'm happy. I'm, I'm helping people. I didn't hear from them for eight years or something. But they, uh, so don't worry about it if you, like, call it what it is. Like, if you go direct into the construct that a person is torturing themselves with don't worry if you go right into it and like have them see it even it will look really bad for a while and most people come out of it sooner or later and feel glad about it but you might think that you lost a friend for a while but don't worry about it for some reason you shouldn't worry about it. You know. So look, we've got a couple more minutes. Does anybody else, thank you, Janet. Does anybody else want to say anything before we end for the evening, for the morning? Yeah, Vera. The, the sentence that when you read accidental ecstasy, um, it landed in my, uh, in my bodies in kind of a, this kind of way and I was wondering if you can talk more about the accident because uh, it's it, you said it's 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 just it's a side thing it's an accident so take good notes and just um, don't think about them too much I think or just use them as accidental ecstasies and why the accidental I suppose or tell me more about the accidental it seems accidental because it wasn't predicted and uh, you didn't know how it happened. So can I, like, remember the day you and I went shopping for food for the lab in Mallorca together? Yeah. Remember that day? So that was a day of accidental ecstasy. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay. It wasn't accidental for me. It was not accidental for you. No. Okay. I knew exactly where I was going. I, I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew what was possible. I, I, I was pretty sure you could go there. 
and we had a fantastic time shopping for potatoes and broccoli and onions in a little village in Mallorca. Okay. So that's what I mean, accidental. It's like one woman's magic is another woman's technology. I was using technology. I'm just using this stuff. Okay. And you had enough matrix to go along, but you didn't have enough matrix to start it. You could hold it, but you couldn't create it. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. So those, those kind of ecstasies, like, you, they are real. And you take note, you go, shit, how did that happen? How you take notes, okay, how, where did this start from? What was included? What was omitted? You know, what was left out? You know, what, how, how did this, how could this possibly happen? You know, we're shopping for potatoes in a marketplace full of sleeping farmers, you know, zombie farmers who are just trying to, you know, smoke and drink and have sex with whoever would stop by their potato stand long enough, you know, that's what these, and, and we were in this field of yellow stuff and they didn't even notice. So, I mean, I'll tell another, it's a personal story, but it's one with me and Chloe. So me and Chloe, we were, we were in Spain and we went to a cafe and the cafe was a little cafe and they had tables out on the street and they're, so here are these little tables out on the street in southern Spain, and we're just having coffee. And we ordered a bottle of sparkling water. So we're in this space, and the waitress, she's like 55 years old, kind of overweight. You know, she kind of looks abused. She kind of hates her job, really, actually. You know, she's got no other prospects. She comes out to our table. She un- undoes the bottle of sparkling water and she's singing opera. She's singing some amazing, beautiful Spanish love song and she's filling up these glasses of water. We're going, this is really an amazing cafe. This is like, this, this woman is amazing. What an amazing, God, what, I'm, we're going to come here every time. And while I was paying, I went inside and I said, thank you for singing at our table. I said, do you, do you do that all the time? She said, I've never done it before in my life. Wow. It's because she got into the field, you know, this field that we held. She walked into it and her whole body just lit up. All five bodies turned on and she, she changed into a different person. She became a participant in co-creating this space with us. And it was fantastic. You know, I'll never forget it. She'll probably never forget it. And, it, and it's like, life can be like this. And so, I mean, thank you for asking. And I'm going to wrap up the space for tonight. And this, thank, you. thank you all very, very much for being this space into which we could consider these things together. Thank you. Thank you. Hope to see you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have fun. Do your experiments. Have fun. Thank you, Clinton. You're welcome. Welcome. Let's see. Let me do that.